Coming up in today's episode, we're going to be talking with our dear friend Nikki Hoover about pursuing God's heart for racial reconciliation through Natasha Morrison's Be the Bridge organization. The Be the Bridge way of bridge building focuses on justice and reconciliation, turning up the voices of the marginalized, and requiring that others listen, educate themselves on history, and grow their empathy muscles. So now it's time to get to know Nikki, why she joined Be the Bridge, and she'll also be sharing some tips for others interested in becoming a bridge builder. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Flawed and Favored Podcast. Join our favorite journey team and guests as we share stories, insights, and wisdom on how to work through and find hope in the challenging moments of everyday life. Hey, everyone. Today, we have Nikki Hoover, who is a friend of ours, both Angie and I, and also a bridge builder. She, she actually initiated our local Be The Bridge group here in Idaho. And she's going to tell you a little bit about herself and what the Be The Bridge organization is all about. So Nikki, let, let us know a little bit about your story. All right. So I'm a stay-at-home mom and wife. My husband and I have five kids. Our oldest is 16 and our youngest is eight. I was born and raised in Lewiston, Idaho, went to the University of Idaho for college. Um, and that's when my husband and I got married. After college, we knew we wanted to spread our wings a little bit. So we applied for jobs in other parts of the country. And Dallas, Texas is where we ended up. Uh, we lived there for about six years. And that's where our first child was born. So our oldest daughter is a proud Texan. Um, about a year after she was born, we decided we wanted to be closer to the family. So we moved to Boise, Idaho, where we lived for nine years. And during those nine years, our two oldest sons were born. And towards the end of our time in Boise, we brought home our youngest son and daughter who were adopted from Haiti. About six months after their adoptions were finalized, we had an opportunity to move back to Lewiston. So being close to family has always been important to us. And we felt like it was just God's opportunity to allow us to move back home. So we've been here for about six years now. I love it. And you have such a great family and we love your family. And you have a boy that's the same age as my boy and they go to school together and then yes. actually two boys yep. are fifth and third graders and they're good friends. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the Be The Bridge organization and why you thought it was important to start it and just a little bit of background on it? Okay. So um, Be The Bridge is an organization that was founded by a woman named Latasha Morrison. Latasha started Be The Bridge in, I think it was about 2016. And the purpose was to encourage racial reconciliation among all ethnicities. She has a passion for equipping others to be racial bridge builders in their own churches and their own communities. Be the Bridge has created a lot of excellent resources and learning tools that can be downloaded from their website. Um, and I'm sure Farron will link that in the show notes. Yes. They also offer courses for white bridge builders, transracial adoptive parents, college students, among other things. Yeah, I um, saw they had a youth, uh, yeah. youth bridge builders. I thought that was neat. Right. Yeah. And I, I know they have an Instagram page for that. I don't know if they've published much curriculum yet for that, but I know that it's in their goal, their plan. Nice. Um, one of their first downloadable guides that was created was aimed towards people who would like to gather with a diverse group of people with the purpose of listening and learning to each other's cultural experiences. Um, I haven't been a part of a group like that yet, but I hope to someday soon. Be the Bridge we're also getting, has a high <laughs> Yep, <laughs> we are. I think we're 
really close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Be the Bridge has a highly moderated Facebook group that amplifies the voices of people of color and provides an excellent space just to listen and learn. And that's pretty much the only reason that I'm on Facebook still. Um, <laughs> I can't quite, I can't quite give up that group. I think there's about <laughs> seventy-four thousand people on mm-hmm. there, and so it's just a wealth of information. Good. So, what motivated you to get involved with Be the Bridge? The main reason I became involved with Be the Bridge is because of our adoption process and our multiracial family. I'd like to think that even if our family hadn't become multiracial through adoption, that I would still be passionate about fighting against racism and bias. But I guess I'll never know because right now (laughs) my kids are definitely my driving force. Mm As an adoptive parent, it became clear to me early on that it's my responsibility to learn about the experiences of people of color in the United States so that I can do my best to prepare and empower my kids for the things that they might face as people in the racial minority. It's also become painfully obvious to me that I had very little education about the historical struggles of people of color in our country. Um, I think it's hard to be empathetic if we don't know or understand the level of oppression that a person or a people group has experienced. So when a racial group is expressing pain and anger, like we've seen so many times over the past Mm -hmm. year and way beyond, but especially it's fresh as, you know, the past year. And as Christians, if we want to show compassion and love to the people who are hurting, that compassion can come across as really shallow if there isn't much knowledge about the depth of the pain. Um, My kids are only eight and nine. My kids of color are only eight and nine, but they've already experienced hatred aimed at them simply because of the color of their skin. The most overt thing that has happened has been that someone shouted the N-word at them while they were riding scooters near our house. And if something like that has already happened to them as young children, I know there's a high likelihood that they will experience racism many times in their lifetime. And Mm -hmm. so I just hope that I can learn and encourage others to learn how serious and prevalent racism is. And that if we can each commit to listening, to understand each other's experiences, that maybe we can create a safer place for my kids and for everyone. Yeah, that is so true. And I like that you mentioned we need to be willing to listen. A lot of times in the church, they think we're in this post-racial era. And a lot of it's just because they've been in this bubble and not been intentional about seeking relationships outside of their Mm -hmm. own people group. And Mm -hmm. so even in the church, how do we listen with humility to other people and then kind of going from those good intentions to that genuine heart transformation and then taking meaningful action? I think the church doesn't have that down. Where do you feel the church has fallen short? Thinking about our little community specifically, I've just heard so many times, well, racism, it's not that big of a deal here. We don't have that many Black people here or that many people from minority group that live here. And I just really feel like that's kind of a lazy excuse. Mm -hmm. Um, We actually do have, I've been surprised that I've, now that I've become more aware and just opened my eyes a little more, I feel like we do have a pretty diverse community. Um, We have a local college that attracts international students as well as student athletes from probably mostly all over the Western United States. Um, And then we have two large state universities within a 30-mile radius of us. And we 
have a large population of Indigenous people because of our close proximity to the Nez Perce Reservation. So sometimes I wonder if people in our predominantly white churches feel like we don't have much diversity just because people in the minority groups maybe aren't comfortable coming into our predominantly white spaces and institutions. And I think it's the church's responsibility to stop turning a blind eye to bias and racism. So I think that just that kind of laziness about saying it's not an issue or it's not something that we really need to concern ourselves with because of where we live. I don't think that's a valid argument. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think so many of the kids that grow up here, myself included, you know, I I did this and so many of my classmates from high school did this. You you move away and you go to a bigger city or another another place where you... live, you might come back, but you are going to be raising kids who most likely will be moving on to other places. And then it's Mm. important for us to teach them to be empathetic to people that they will come across. Yeah, I agree. So even though, you know, the adults in this community might think, well, racism isn't an issue here, or we don't see much of it. We received a message from a friend today, uh, the both of us, and uh, from a seventh grade class, and they were asked, what's a problem you'd like to see solved in our world? And the immediate answer was, we have too much racism. And so even though, like you said, the adults might turn a blind eye, but the kids are watching adults turn mm-hmm. a blind eye. So right, definitely um, our responsibility to not to stop doing that, to stop turning a blind eye and to help our kids empower them to fight against it. My daughter said, my daughter said the other day, she said, um, yeah, but young people are the ones who start a revolution. (laughs) She was like, old people might think, oh, it's, you know, just power through, you know, carry on, ignore what injustices you think are coming against you. But she's like, yeah, but it's the young people who are aware of it and are the ones who are willing to fight towards making change. Yeah, I love that because they have this enough is enough attitude. Yeah. And in the church, if the young people, I think it's pretty damaging for the young people to see the older generations not caring. Mm -hmm. If it's something that the young people feel so passionate about, if they see their, the people that they're supposed to be looking up to as, you know, the Christian leaders. And if they're, if it's not a concern for the older generation, generation. I feel like that's damaging to the younger generation's faith. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to turn a blind eye, but at the same time, we don't want to just jump in and try to fix everything and think that we're going to have all of the answers. And I know in in the Be the Bridge curriculum, they have a lot of resources. And one of them is what not to do as a bridge builder or a, a kind of few helpful hints. Can you give us some of those? Sure, I would love to. So I have that 16 bridge building tips for white people right here. And a couple of the ones that stood out to me... The first one, don't expect people of color to be your only source of education about race. Mm -hmm. There's so much information out there on, yeah, you pick your favorite social media platform and you can find voices of color who have already put the information out there that you can learn from or um, articles or the Be The Bridge website. There's just so many resources. So I guess try not to take advantage of your one (laughs) friend who is in a racial minority and try to just make them explain it to you because it's pretty guaranteed that they've explained, tried to explain the same situations over and over and over again to white people specifically. So there's so much that you can learn on your own and not exhaust your friends Mm -hmm. by asking them to explain it over and over. I'll say another part. Go 
ahead. that was about not asking your friend who's a person of color is that it could be damaging to them as well, not just exhausting, because every time they have to relive that trauma when they talk to you right. about it. So I think that mm-hmm. was one of the things that was mentioned too, is to be aware, oh, I didn't realize that I was re-traumatizing you by asking you this question. Yeah. Okay. Another one that I'll highlight here is um, just be careful not to center yourself in the conversation. The needs and feelings and priorities of white people are centered in most conversations, most situations. So when you're hoping to be a bridge builder and engaging in that um, process, just (laughs) don't let it be about you. Don't try to help yourself look good or like you're you're a woke woke person that's trying to <laughs> save the world here it talks about if you feel silenced or undervalued use that experience to inform how you treat people of color in spaces instead of focusing on like a victim complex. So another one that they highlight is if you find yourself in a situation where you're being called out as potentially saying something racist or using your privilege in a situation, and if if someone um, calls you on that, it's important not to immediately respond with defensiveness. Mm -hmm. When you get defensive or just leave a conversation because it's uncomfortable, then you reinforce to people of color that white people are, are not safe people to have the conversation with. So it kind of shuts down that opportunity to learn and grow. Yeah. Instead of truly listening to someone's experience, we derail or challenge the conversation by sharing our own. So those are some great tips. What would be another one that you'd want to share? Another one would be to not equate impact with intent. So even if our heart is in the right place and, you know, I really meant well, if our words and behavior have a negative impact on the person around me, that's what really matters. And we need to have humility to recognize how our impact might affect others, even if it wasn't what we intended. Mm -hmm. So as we engage in conversations about race, me as a white woman who grew up in Idaho, you know, I'm going to make mistakes and misspeak or do things that are hurtful, most likely to someone. <laughs> I, you know, as much as I hate to admit that, because I, you know, I'm a good person and I love people and I don't <laughs> intend to, but it's just, you know, my experiences are so different and my nature is so different based on those experiences that I'm bound to hurt someone mm-hmm. who has different experiences than I do. And so it's just so important that I have that humble attitude where I, if someone calls me out on, you know, what you said, I know you didn't mean to be hurtful, but it was hurtful. I need to be careful to not be defensive and to um, acknowledge and understand how what I did or said could have been hurtful to someone. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think it's not even just for white people. Mm. I know that I don't know everything about other cultures. So being married to somebody who's African-American, I remember early on in our relationship, I said things he's like, no, that's not like, that's (laughs) not what you say. But Mm -hmm. I still had, like you said, have that humble attitude of like, okay, I just need to change my wording or put the responsibility on yourself. So yeah, it it really is not just for white people, but Mm -hmm. for understanding any other ethnic group. Right. 
Okay, so one more tip that is in this guide for bridge building is the last tip on their list. And it's very important. It says don't give up. Um, mm-hmm. This is a hard lifelong process. So find community. It's a lifelong process. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Don't think, oh, I, you know, I care so much about this. And then two months later, you're like, oh, that's hard work. And that's depressing. I don't think I can engage in this anymore. Mm-hmm. That's a privilege that I might have, but other people don't have the privilege of just checking out from the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And so kind of going from those good intentions of, oh yeah, I do want to be a bridge builder. I do want to seek racial reconciliation and learning about these things and kind of moving into that action. Like you said, it is a very long process and it's a lifelong process. But if somebody wants to get started in this and and they have no, maybe they're in, you know, a small community where there's not a lot of diversity. How could they get started in this process? So the first thing that I recommend for people to do is to get Latasha Morrison's book. So she's the woman who started Be the Bridge, and she has a written has written a book called Be the Bridge: Pursuing God's Heart for Racial Reconciliation. And I just think it's an excellent book. I can't recommend it enough. Um, I try to always keep an extra copy on hand. So if you're local and you would <laughs> like to come grab it from me, let me know. Um, it's just an easy read, and it kind of addresses the issue in pretty broad strokes. So you get a good comprehensive look at racial reconciliation and God's heart for it. Um, And then of course, the Be the Bridge Facebook group that I already mentioned has so much information and you can do searches on on that group for any, any topic you can think of. You can type in the search and you'll get discussions specifically about those topics. Yeah. And on her website, we'll have the link, but she has a resources page that lists all of these things all of the books, Mm -hmm. no matter what part of the process you're in, she has resources for that, including some of the books like the Jamar Tisby book. Which one? The Color of Compromise or How to Fight Racism? So if you're not able to start a Be the Bridge group right now, what are some other ideas you could give people? Okay, so um, in addition to Latasha's book, there's several books that you could pick up. There's Latasha's book, Be the Bridge. There's Jamar Tisby's book called How to Fight Racism. Both of those books have question, discussion questions at the end of each chapter. So you could work through that yourself, or you could grab a friend and have a little book club discussion together. And another one that I have really enjoyed is called The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tidsby. He's a historian, and the book focuses on the church and the church's relationship with people of color and how the church has um, just missed it. <laughs> they have they've just contributed over and over and over to the continuation of racism and oppression of certain people groups. Oh, one more book that's another pretty easy read that someone in our in our Be the Bridge group mentioned also is Austin Channing Brown's book. Mm-hmm. And the name of it is I'm Still Here. Um, that's another excellent book. And some other resources uh, you can find. There's so much on Netflix or Amazon Prime. There's a documentary called 13th. Oh, the book Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson is another great book to read. It's about the criminal justice system and how it disproportionately affects people of color or men of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also the movie that was based on that book called Just Mercy. Highly recommend those. 
So those are some great resources. And outside of all of these resources, some things that you can just be doing daily is just making sure you're incorporating people of color into, you know, what you read your kids at night. Or Mm -hmm. if you're a teacher, are you including Black authors, Asian authors, Indigenous authors, same in, you know, every subject like black scientists, Mm -hmm. just incorporating those things into your daily life. And you're doing that with your family and just Mm -hmm. something as simple as that. At least start incorporating a little bit into your daily practices. Absolutely. So I think that's all of our questions. Unless, Nikki, do you have anything else that you want to add or share? Yeah, I just listened. I think it was your last podcast episode with Reverend Danelle Crawford McKinney. And something that really stuck out to me that she said was when she was talking about how sometimes we just need to be comfortable just sitting with people and offering comfort and support. So often we just want to, like if we hear of a struggle that someone's going through, we just want to jump in and have a solution. And And sometimes that's not the best thing to do. Um, Sometimes we just need to be comfortable just sitting and learning and acknowledging and just not be too quick to speak and offer solution. Um, She also mentioned if apologizing is important, if we don't really know what we're apologizing for, like if there was something racist or insensitive that was said, um, I think was her context there that sometimes people are just like, oh, I'm, I need to apologize for saying that. But if the person apologizing doesn't fully understand why they're apologizing or why something was hurtful, it can be just kind of an ineffective apology. And so that's where she was talking about um, sit with us, get to know us, dig deeper, um, Mm -hmm. take the time to listen. Yeah. She had a lot of wisdom to share in that Mm -hmm. last week. Mm-hmm. Um, so just finishing this out, we're going to ask you the same thing we ask everybody. What's your favorite thing right now? All right. I think my favorite thing is definitely the warm weather, the sunshine. Spring is coming. We can be outside digging in the dirt. My husband and I love to garden. We don't necessarily garden enough to provide you know, all the vegetables <laughs> for our family for the summer, but we just love to grow what little, what little we grow. And I've got some sunflowers flowers popping up in little pots in my dining room right now. And so, yeah, we just love, love the sunshine and being able to be outside more. And the kids, I'd love to see them out playing football in the yard and shooting hoops in the driveway. And I think it lifts all of our spirit Mm -hmm. to be outside. Good. It's what I do. I go outside and dig in the dirt when I'm feeling anxious or burdened by everything going on around. That's definitely my um, way to help relieve some anxiety. Oh, really? But (laughs) if I'm feeling like I can't breathe, I got to get outside and dig in the dirt. Well, thank you, Nikki, for coming on and sharing all of those resources and insights on the Be the Bridge organization and how to get involved with that. So we just are so excited to have you this time. Thanks for having me. And yeah, if anybody wants to get involved in um, a Be the Bridge group specifically, please come talk to either Farron or I, and we can help you get connected. That's all for our show today, but thank you for joining us. Please don't forget to click subscribe and follow the Flawed and Favored podcast. And if you can give us a positive review and share us with your friends, we would love to get the word out to others. We hope you go out today knowing you may be flawed, but you are still favored.
We are also so thankful to our podcast partners who help us bring these messages to you. And if you want information about becoming a partner and sharing your products and services with our listeners, email us at info at favorjourney.com.